who among us doesn't enjoy a good mystery? And especially when solving it means that I get to bring out my competitive side, even if it's just me against the clock, I just can't wait to uncover all the secrets. So June's Journey is a game that is completely up my alley, and I think you'll love it too. In June's Journey, a hidden object mystery game, you play as June Parker, who's on a quest to solve her sister's murder and uncover her family's many secrets. Each chapter brings you deeper into the story, and it's set in the Roaring Twenties, so beyond uncovering clues, you get to experience the glitz and glamour of the time. June's Journey is definitely not a game I play mindlessly, which I love because I get genuinely invested and a lot of it is a race against time, so there's a little fun added pressure of trying to find the clues as quickly as you can in each scene. There are also tons of ways to customize the island that you're on, learn more about the characters, and then new chapters are added weekly, so you really can't run out of things to explore. So if you think you're up to solve this case, download June's Journey for free today on iOS or Android or play on PC through Facebook games. June needs your help, detective. This episode is brought to you by Progressive. Most of you aren't just listening right now. You're driving, cleaning, and even exercising. But what if you could be saving money by switching to Progressive? Drivers who save by switching save nearly $750 on average, and auto customers qualify for an average of seven discounts. Multitask right now. Quote today at Progressive.com. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. National average 12-month savings of $744 by new customers surveyed who saved with Progressive between June 2022 and May 2023. Potential savings will vary. Discounts not available in all states and situations. Hey, Ragers. It's Madigan here. Um, I'm in the weirdest place. I'm in my bathroom right now recording because apparently you can hear everything in my apartment that is going on outside and things like that. So if the sound isn't quite up to our normal quality, that is why. The reason that it's just me is because I wanted to do a little bit of a more in-depth story, I guess, of my experience with my eating disorder and what it was like to go through treatment, maybe for those listeners who wanted to know more about that, or maybe the listeners who are struggling with eating disorders themselves and maybe have some apprehension about treatment or don't really know what that experience is like, or just for people who are interested and want to learn more. Also, I just wanted to let you guys know that Keegan and I will be uploading our regular mini What's in the News episode on Friday this week. Our schedules were a little bit hectic and crazy. So um, it's going to be a little bit off of our normal schedule. Okay, so um, I've kind of, I guess, it's hard to start at the beginning because for me it's really hard to know where the beginning of this whole journey for me went. So I'm going to kind of start when my specific eating disorder symptoms really started showing because I think that when you are struggling with something like that, it's things that are like little clues could be seen through your entire life. And looking back, I can totally see kind of where some of my symptom use started at a young age, um, but never really became a big issue. It was kind of normalized or just, I guess, my attitude around food and things like that. So I am going to start with summer of 2011. I was living in Los Angeles. It was my first year out here. And let me tell you, my first year was rough. Um, I had, I got mono the day that I moved to LA and then I got a car accident and I was in a neck brace and emotionally it was just a really hard year for me. And I, I did not know how to cope at all. So 
that that summer was when I kind of started restricting my food intake. I started exercising. I started uh, weighing myself every day. And I started getting really hard on myself about all that kind of stuff. And I had friends that were also very weight conscious and things like that and hard on their bodies. And so it was very normal. You know, we could talk about that kind of stuff. And it wasn't, you know, no one was you know, bringing up to be, to each other that it could be harmful or anything like that. So in like in the summer of 2011, after I'd been restricting for a little bit, I got kidney stones. And that's something that I talked about on the last episode where you can have kidney complications. Well, I wasn't drinking enough water and I wasn't ha- eating enough nutrients. So I ended up getting kidney stones and that sucked. Um, if you've never had kidney stones, it hurts so bad. It's the worst pain in the world. I hated it. So after that, it was done with my first year of college and I had a little bit of a break and I was really, really isolated. A lot of my friends were gone and um, I just remember going online and looking at the inspiration stuff and Uh, really just like delving into such an unhealthy state of mind and really welcoming that unhealthy state of mind. It made sense to me at the time. And it was something I think that was easier for me to focus on than my loneliness um, and lack of belonging here. So after that, I, so I'm, I'm still heavily restricting my food. That was kind of my main thing. And I'm exercising obsessively just obsessively obsessively exercising and um so that year I went home for Christmas and scared the crap out of all of my friends and family and I was like no no fine you know whatever and it was just it was the worst Christmas ever you know I went out to dinner with my best friend for her birthday and I kept having to excuse myself um and so I just was isolating myself more and more. I couldn't enjoy a dinner out with my favorite people in the world because I was so focused on the food and my eating disorder. So my mom was like, we're going to get you into treatment. And I was like, no, fuck you. I'm fine. So I went back to California. And I think a day later, I called her crying being like, I'm not okay. I, I need to come home. And that was a real moment of clarity for me. I was just really, really scared and I knew that the way that I was living my life wasn't wasn't going to work. I, I wasn't going to be able to maintain that lifestyle. I was. It, this was not a slow and steady thing for me. When I started, I started hard and I got really sick really fast. Um, I knew that this wasn't something that I could live with. So I went back to Minnesota. I celebrated the New Year there. And I think it was the day after New Year, um, I was laying in my mom's bed and she was out and about and I started experiencing chest pains. Um, it, it felt like someone was sitting on my chest and looking back, I don't know if it was a panic attack that was causing chest pains or chest pains that caused a panic attack or what it was, but I started freaking out and called my mom and told her that I needed to go to the hospital. I just felt really scared. And so she and my uncle took me to the hospital I don't really remember a lot of that night, but I remember laying in the hospital bed and them giving me um, fluids because I was really dehydrated and 
potassium pills and just basically a ton of vitamins and things like that. And they sent in a social worker and she talked to my mom about treatment. I, I really didn't want to go, but there was also a part of me when they were talking about that, that just felt such a huge weight off my shoulders. Like maybe I didn't have to make decisions for myself anymore because I clearly wasn't making good decisions. And there was something about someone taking care of me that felt really good, which in a way was problematic as well because I liked being taken care of. And I really had to learn uh, during my recovery to start taking care of myself. Um, But at that time, it was good to finally kind of relinquish some control and know that, you know, something was going to be done about the way I was living my life. We were super lucky. They called the Emily program that night, and they had an opening at the Anna Weston house the next day, and I got in, and it was such a quick experience, the intake and everything, that I don't, I really don't have any, like, specific memories. I just kind of remember my first night and doing sit-ups in my bed and not realizing that you weren't allowed to do that. So I just remember doing that and then also um, being in my bed and being really worried about breakfast in the morning because dinner was really hard. But again, also feeling like I was finally being taken care of and I didn't have to worry about it. Oh my gosh, I'm finally going to have breakfast again. You know, kind of excited to have that food again. So I stayed there from January until like April, I think, beginning of April. And I left before I had reached my goal weight and I told them that I was going to be fine, that I was going to gain the rest on my own, um, that I would, you know, come to day treatment, things like that. And I didn't do any of those things. I left and I would make excuses not to go just because I didn't want to. I wanted to just get back to my life. I didn't want to be a part of treatment anymore. I was over it. And a part of me wanted to hold on to just a little bit of my eating disorder and not gain as much weight as they wanted me to and kind of do it my way, I guess. Started reading a lot of books that I probably shouldn't have read. Uh, Don't read triggering books. Don't watch triggering TV shows or movies or anything like that because that totally fed into my very sick, disordered mind. So I went back to California in May of 2012 and just got sicker. You know, I think that over that time in treatment and afterwards, I learned basically how to be even better at my eating disorder. And I just got, I got sicker than ever before. I had a kidney infection again, and it was horrible. Um, It was a traumatizing experience. And I was so, it was, I was so sad. I was just by myself all the time. I was scared to go anywhere. I was scared to go into my kitchen. I couldn't. It was just, it was the most miserable time of my life. I took myself off of medication. Don't do that. I was just, I was miserable. I was miserable and I wanted to hold on to this as long as I could. And my mom knew that I was getting sick again and was saying that she was going to intervene. And I like would just blow up at her and kept putting it off, kept putting it off, kept putting it off. And then finally, I went to PHP, which is partial hospitalization. 
at Montanito's EDCC in September of 2012 and was very, um, very against it, didn't want to go. Um, I knew that Montanito was a really great program because that's what the Anna Weston House and the Emily program had kind of modeled their program after, and they were learning from Carolyn Costin. So I went to the day program and would like bitch and complain and be a zombie while I was there. I was a miserable person to be around. I was the most negative, horrible, annoying person in the world. And then I would go home and I wouldn't follow my meal plan and I would use symptoms and be horrible. My self-harm was back. It was just, I was just a piece of work. I was a zombie for real. It was horrible. And they were like, this can't go on. You need to have, you need to go back into inpatient treatment. And I was like, I am never going back to inpatient treatment. You can't make me. Well, in October, I went back to inpatient treatment. They got me into Montanito. Again, there was someone that left unexpectedly and they got me in. And I, again, I was so negative and horrible. I've never had problems making friends. I'm very talkative. Generally, people tend to like me. And, um, I had no friends. I was friends with my roommate when I first came into Montanito. But other than that, nobody wanted to talk to me. Nobody wanted to be around me. And that was the first time that had ever happened. I was like, this isn't right. I don't know what's happening. Um, but I also didn't, you know, I knew that they were annoyed with me because of my eating disorder. And yet I wasn't able to you know, stop complaining about getting better or holding on to that part of me. And it took until about like Thanksgiving time for me to start um, kind of getting healthier, seeing things more clearly and starting to want to get better. And I had such an amazing Thanksgiving at Montanito. It was so much fun. We made all of our own food and we all sat together. It was a huge, you know, a lot of the staff came and It was such a loving, corrective experience for me, especially since the last holiday season was so miserable for me. And Christmas was amazing. We picked out Christmas trees and um, gave each other presents that we'd made and um, went to go see a movie and we went out to eat. And on New Year's, we went out to eat and it was so much fun. And for me, I was finally feeling like I'm going to get better. I want to get better. I'm going to do everything I can to get better during that time, during like Christmas to New Year's time. And my Christmas gift to my mom that year was that I was going to be leaving treatment on January 8th or 9th, one of those two days. I don't remember. And um, during my time there, I, I worked really, really hard on why food was something that I was using to cope with things that have happened in my life. I had a lot of repressed memories come up, which was really hard, really, really hard. But I I had to take a look at myself and I had to finally start dealing with the things in my life that I never wanted to look at before or that they just, you know, metaphorically slapped a Band-Aid on and said, we're going to move on and just keep moving forward and forget that something happened and hope that you get better. So it, it was the most challenging experience of my life, but I'm so unbelievably thankful for how they pushed me. They pushed me to actually get dressed every day and not be in my pajamas. They pushed me to, um, get out of my comfort zone. They pushed me to be more positive. They 
you know, really enforced being your authentic self, being exactly who you are. And I was still in a very abusive relationship at the time when I was in treatment. And um, that was one thing that I, I knew they were very frustrated with me looking back, um, wanting me to see for myself that it wasn't healthy, but I wasn't able to see that. But because of them, I grew stronger and I was able to see that I was in an unhealthy relationship. And I was able to get out and started standing up for myself. And I wanted to be the person that I was. And I really liked who I was becoming. So I left Montanito in January. They had a beautiful, they had like a beautiful ceremony, kind of graduation. They played Over the Rainbow. And as I was like sitting there and they were playing Over the Rainbow, a little like rainbow came on the floor it was crazy. Like they had like a little altar for me of like little symbols of my time there. And all of a sudden this like rainbow came across the floor over all those things. And it was the most symbolic, beautiful experience. And I was just crying. (laughs) I was crying so hard. And I was so thankful for the people who saved my life. And I moved on. I went back to the EDCC, the day program center. And I followed that meal plan. Like it was my Bible I had the same dietitian that I had when I was at Montanito. They let me stay working with dear, dear Kathy. And um, yeah, I was really hard on myself. I worked really hard and I kept pushing myself like they pushed me when I was at Montanito and followed a very strict schedule with myself. And um, yeah, just I just remember having everything at, at EDCC be easy. And soon enough, I was in the, what is it, IOP program, which is intensive outpatient. And so I only had to go a few days a week for a few hours or every day a week for a few hours. I don't really remember the exact schedule. And I was there for way too long. So I couldn't find a general care doctor. You need to have a psychiatrist, um, a general care doctor. There's a nutritionist, a dietitian. There's like a list of things that you need before you could leave. And they had to like sign off on everything and call all those doctors and give them your medical history and all that kind of stuff. Oh, oh and a therapist. <laughs> I mean, all this stuff. So it took me forever to find a general care doctor. So I was like just waiting and waiting and sitting and just like itching to get away. I was so annoyed with the people who were still sick. I was sick of hearing the same thing over and over and over again. And I was like, that's when my tough love kind of came out too, when I would be hearing people bitch and complain about stuff. And I'd be like, guys, just see that you can live your lives better. You know, and I just, it was frustrating to see people be sick And it really urged me to want to help as many people as I could get out of that bad situation. Um, So I graduated finally in May of 2013. I stayed with Kathy, my dietitian, all through the summer and into the fall. I maintained my weight. Um, I, you know, I went back to college in the fall. Um, In the wintertime, I broke up with... Uh, my abuser and I met Chris my lovely boyfriend in college and um, everything since then I mean it has not been perfect but I have normal problems you know I deal with things that everybody else deals with you know being broke and not having enough money or um, getting in a fight with my boyfriend or you know, my car breaks down and things like that. And I can finally deal with these things in a healthy way and a positive way. And I can help other people see 
life in a more positive light as well. And my eating disorder really did lead me to feminism. It led, it led me to being who I am as a strong, powerful woman. And um, since then, uh, my mom and I have raised a lot of money for the National Eating Disorder Association. We've done walks for them. Um, I've performed at events where I've told my story. I've spoken with patients that Montanita wanted to come to them and kind of, you know, told them how great it is. And um, what else have I done? I just tried to be an advocate. I have a tattoo of the National Eating Disorder Awareness symbol on my wrist. And I love when people ask me what it is and I'm able to have a conversation with them about it. I love when I see that tattoo on other people and we instantly have a connection and understand each other. Um, it's just, it's such a great community when you're better, when you're sick, it's horrible. When you're better, it's such a loving and wonderful community. And I still have a lot of those, um, more so like my, you know, dietitian and the people who care for me, I still have them in my life and my healthy friends. Um, I had to kind of distance myself from some of the people that were maybe still struggling for my own sake, but I still love all of them so much. And I would not have gone through the experiences that every single person that I was with. So, well, I've been talking for about 20 minutes in my bathroom. So I'm going to wrap this up. Um, I, we have left a lot of phone numbers on the last episode. I will add them into the show notes here. Again, Keegan and I are going to be recording our episode tomorrow. We're going to have it up on Friday this week. We are so sorry for switching up the schedule on you, but you get a little bonus episode. So you know what? I'm really not that sorry. Um, I hope this was helpful. Um, I'm sure there's more to this story that I'm missing, but those were kind of the key factors. Um, And I hope that if you're struggling, that this can help you see that there is a light at the end of the tunnel and that really your worst day in recovery is better than your best day in your eating disorder. And uh, with that... I encourage you to rage on, guys. Bye. Hey, Jenny, have you um, ever heard of a vampire slayer? Do you mean the one girl in all the world with the strength and skill to fight the vampires, demons, and forces of darkness? I do. Oh, yeah, I've heard of her. Cool. My name is Jenny Owen-Youngs. And I'm Kristen Russo. And together, we spent six years watching every episode of Buffy the Vampire Slayer, one at a time, podcasting about each and every one. Never seen Buffy before? We will protect you. Our podcast is spoiler-free, so first-time viewers can listen along safely. Ever thought to yourself, I wish someone was brave enough to write an original song for every single episode of Buffy? <laughs> Your search is at an end, my friend, because we did exactly that. So if you've never watched Buffy or if you're about to watch the series for the 14th time, come over and join us. Our podcast is called Buffering the Vampire Slayer, and you can learn more about it at BufferingCast.com. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.